Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hoopsville Podcast. Have you missed us? It's been a while. I'm your host, Dave McHugh, broadcasting from the WBCA NABC studios, of course, presented by D3Hoops.com. And of course, I want to thank our partners at Blue Frame Technology. While we're not streaming just yet, we will be back on with them when we video stream. They're always our sponsor of the hotline, nonetheless. I want to thank them for their um, help, to say the least. Well, it's been a while, and I'll uh, I'll apologize. When we last released our podcast at the end of September, the plan was to probably miss about a month and get back to you, if we hope, by the end of October, but really probably early November. Well, things didn't go according to plan. For those of you who aren't aware, not that I'm going to dive into too much, I had major back surgery to go with the minor back surgery I had last year. Um, there were complications. I was in the hospital longer than I planned. The, the recovery took longer, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I'm still, to be honest with you, would not be able to do a, a live two-hour show right now because I just can't sit in the studio chair for that amount of time. We're getting there, though. Things are definitely improving. I'm on the mend, um, but I bear bear with me, really, and I apologize for our delay. But uh, that's, that's the reason we're now in mid-December, along with the fact that there hasn't been all that much to talk about, to be honest. About 20 men's teams have now taken to the court for at least one basketball game. The women have been a little bit less than that. So it's not like we've had a plethora of games to discuss. And a lot of games have taken place against non-Division 3s as well. So com- com- combine everything together and, and we just didn't have a good reason to be on the air. We didn't want to be on the air with just nothing either um, or speculation. We didn't want to be on the air trying to piece things together when the next day uh, it could be out of date. And we do risk that last part a little bit here as we speak. But what the plan is here is we're going to put three podcasts out this week, all regarding the coronavirus pandemic and how Division Three basketball programs and the division as a whole is dealing with it. We're going to talk with coaches who have gotten their teams on the floor, what steps they're taking to accomplish that, how their institutions are helping them, and what the end goal is ultimately for all of them. We'll also then talk to some coaches whose programs will not be participating this season. Their seasons are already canceled in one way or another. And so we'll talk to them about the challenges of those cancellations, how they're keeping their teams involved, how they told their teams especially, and all of the all the craziness that goes with the fact that there will not be basketball at their institutions. And then our third podcast kind of talks about the challenges of trying to do athletics in this environment. We'll talk to one school where they're making the effort, they're hoping to move forward, uh, and the challenges they're in, and we'll talk to another that's already pulled the plug and an administrator about those challenges. A little bit different from the basketball conversation because we want to hear the insides and outsides of how and why this all is so challenging for so many institutions. Um, so that's what we're going to do over the course of the three shows. The first one, this one, we'll talk to basketball coaches about how they're putting it all together and how they're all doing it uh, and getting on the floor. And our guest will be George Barber from Dr. George Barber, of course, from Greenville men's basketball running the system. We'll talk to him about his season so far, really about how they're having a season. And we'll talk to Kendra Hassel of Harden Simmons women's basketball about how they're having a season and really how, how um, uh, really 
audacious, maybe. I, I don't know if that's the right word. That may be a little bit strong, but they're trying to be in their season and uh, everything they're doing to get it accomplished. I do want to go through some some notes regarding Division Three. I know a lot of people have some questions. I I have been doing as much homework as I can, following as much as I can, trying to stay up to date on as much as I can. Here's what I can tell you for sure through our research. First off, follow us on Twitter, at D3Hoopsville. We are breaking every time we get a chance information there that is important, and we certainly are trying to stay up to date on things when schools and conferences make announcements. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville and Instagram uh, at D3Hoopsville there as well. But those last two, Facebook and Instagram, I'm not able to stay up to date as much as I am on Twitter with everything going on. I will certainly try and do a better job of that moving forward, but Twitter is certainly my my go-to. It's the easier format for me. We get a lot of news out there. Also, of course, stay with d3hoops.com as we talk about um, who's canceled, who's not, who's got plans, whatnot. We've got a pretty extensive list staying up to date. I've got a very detailed Excel sheet. Let's talk about some of the particulars because I know some of you tuned in for those particulars. Here's what I'm learning as of the time I'm recording this. And to be honest with you, I'm recording this on Monday evening, the 14th of December. Here's what we know uh, regarding the championships. First and foremost, it looks like it'll be, well, it should be a 60 per, uh, uh, the bracket's down to 48 teams is what I'm trying to say. It will not be a 60-14 bracket should we have an NCAA tournament in March. It'll be 48 teams. It will also be truncated into just about two weeks. The last day games can be played in Division Three for the NCAA tournament is March 6th. That's a week later than it was scheduled to be. That's also a Saturday. March 7th, a Sunday, is when the brackets will be announced. So that's a little bit shorter time frame or a different time frame on the weekends than we're normally used to. Then the first round, which will only be 16 games, would be played on March 10th, with the second round, March 2nd, uh, I'm sorry, March 12th, and March 13th being the third round. That is a uh, Friday and Saturday. Those three rounds will be at predetermined sites, eight per gender. So there'll be eight on the men's side, eight on the women's side. Predetermined, not like we normally do. Whoever's got the best uh, criteria and whatnot, that's not how it's going to work. It's going to be at a place that's already set up and ready to go because of testing and all of that. Again, first round would be on Wednesday the 10th. Second round, where, where you'll have some by teams waiting, will be on Friday the 12th. And then the third round on, the, on Saturday the 13th. Then everybody travels to where they would have gone for championships. On the men's side, Fort Wayne. On the women's side, Salem. And... The quarterfinals will be Wednesday the 17th, semis Thursday the 18th, then a day off with championships being played on Saturday the 20th. That's if everything moves forward with 48-team tournaments. So again, two elongated weekends, as it were, Wednesday through Saturday, with the tournament being pushed in as much as possible. It's also giving everybody as much time as they can to get games in because we cannot move this tournament, as we discussed back in September. Now, some other things from the championship committee. If we do not have 60% of Division Three teams playing the sport at a time that they would be eligible for the NCAA tournament, they will not count towards participate, or we won't have a tournament. So if we don't have about 166, or I should say, about, if we have 166 or more men's teams cancel, we have about 172 or more women's teams cancel. We won't have an NCAA tournament 
by the rules that the championship committee has put together. It does have to be ratified by management council and president's council, but honestly, I, I can't imagine it won't be. So if we lose more than 40% of the division, if more than 40% of the division cancels, the tournaments are off. We can go into the who's, what's, and where's, and why's of all that when that maybe happens or gets closer, but that's the decision. Basically, 60% is the 48-team structure of the NCAA tournament. And basically, instead of playing a, a game of constantly shortening and, and shrinking the tournament, they'll just, if we get the 60% canceled, we're done. At last count, again, this is, this is the evening of the 14th, and, and numbers could change even tonight. Here's what we know so far. For teams, by our count at Hoopsville and, and D3 Sports, we have 69 men's teams and 71 women's teams who have canceled. And we have 108 men's teams and 110 women's teams who will not be eligible. So they don't count towards participation because, and this is where it's gotten interesting, we have four conferences as of now and, and maybe more who just haven't officially said it who will be pushing their seasons late enough that they will not be done with conference play in tournaments before the NCAA tournament. So Empire 8, Mac Commonwealth, Mac Freedom, Slyak are the four who have said we are either playing in, starting in late February or the beginning of March, which basically keeps them from getting the nine games in that they need to play minimum to be eligible for the NCAA tournament or the AQ. And the championship committee has stated that those teams, as a result of all those in the conferences, cannot count towards that 60% participation. So they count against it because they will not be eligible. Listen, I'm going to give you a crazy what if. You know, let's say 10 conferences went with this model and we average out eight members of conference. That's 80 schools. Imagine if 80 schools were playing Division Three basketball, but at a time that they weren't eligible for the NCAA tournament outside the window of the NCAA tournament, and we had a tournament kept alive by those 80 that maybe is a truncated tournament. It, we don't get the best of the best. They're putting a tournament on for numbers that 80, which aren't even playing, aren't, aren't even going to be able to take advantage of the, of the basketball tournament. So that's the reason the championship committee has said, if you aren't playing at a time that would make you eligible for the NCAA tournament, we will not count you as participating, and thus it counts against the 60%. So that's why I say we have 108 men's teams and 110 women's teams who have already canceled. That means we're roughly 60 teams away from both of full cancellation of the NCAA tournaments. As I, as I record this, and that could change by the time you listen to this by a few numbers. So go to d3hoops.com, d3sports.com, where we're keeping up the date on that. Institutionally, we've had two conferences who have flat out canceled with, no, or sorry, three conferences that have flat out canceled with no autonomy for their conference members, meaning those conference members aren't playing either. The CUNYAC, the MASCAC, and the SUNYAC. And in order, it was SUNYAC, MASCAC, CUNYAC. Those conferences canceled and those schools canceled as well. No playing at all. Other conferences that have canceled but given autonomy to schools to choose on their own. There's 12 of them. 12 conferences said, hey, we're not having conference competition. We're not having conference tournament, but the schools can go ahead and go play if they so choose. Those conferences include 
the former Capital Athletic Conference, oh, by the way, they're now called the Coast to Coast Conference, or C2C, also the Centennial Conference has made that decision, though talk about a press release that didn't make that clear. Uh, you also have the GNAC that has said so, the Liberty League that has said so, Midwest Conference, NCAC, NEAC, NECC, NESCAC, NUMAC, SCIAC, and UAA have all shut down their seasons in terms of conference play and conference tournament, but their members are allowed to compete should they so choose. I think almost every single one of those conferences has had at least one member who has canceled uh, as well. Uh, off the top of my head in the Centennial Conference, obviously Swarthmore had made that decision back in October. Um, I've been told there's a couple other schools that just haven't made it official yet. Um, and You can go through the list on D3Hoops and D3Sports.com. It would take me forever to go through all of them. But uh, it ranges from one to a majority of schools in each conference that has shut down conference play has also shut down school play as well. There are four again with the delayed start and there are 14 conferences that have officially announced plans, meaning we plan to start play on this particular date. And we will, we will do so unless something changes. There are um, as a result, 11 who have not made an official decision. Some have announced, hey, we'll make a decision by this date, or we're hoping to. And in that 11, to be honest with you, inside that 11 are some of these that may be like those four that delayed. By reading some press releases and doing some basic math, some of these conferences, let's take the Triple C, for example, the Commonwealth Coast Conference. They say that most of their schools, if not all of them, will not allow students back until February 1st. We're going to take the assumption that student athletes aren't allowed back until February 1st either, because I don't, there's a very few schools that are allowing the student athletes back before the, for the regular student body at this time. If they're allowed back February 1st, if that's the date student athletes aren't allowed back until there is a 14 day period of time that teams need to take before they are allowed to compete by NCAA rule. That 14 days takes us out to the February 14th or 15th. I don't see how teams are going to be able to get nine games in with the testing protocols in place and with any um, ability to um, adjust to cancellations or postponements and get a conference tournament in on top of that. So even if you played eight games and the conference tournament was for everybody and it guaranteed you your ninth minimal, I still don't see how they're going to get them all in, let alone have a conference tournament based on anything to begin with. So conferences like the Triple C are saying, we'll make a decision, but most of our schools aren't back to February 1st. We should probably put them in the delay category. We haven't officially. It's, we, we can't. That's not, that's not right to do. But we could consider them in that category, and now those numbers climb even higher. And there's a cup. Triple C is not the only one who's doing that. There's some other conferences... If you read carefully what they're saying, it looks very doubtful they're going to get a season in before the NCAA tournament, um, and some of them may push further. So we're in a really weird spot where I think some conferences and, and a lot of schools are going to try and play. When they play is certainly key. If they get their nine games in before March 6th, they're going to be eligible for an NCAA tournament. But there could be a lot of schools and a lot of conferences that play later if they play at all. And those who play later are going to kill 
the chance that that NCAA tournament takes place. Um, it, it's fascinating if you really dive into those numbers and those who have hope saying, well, we're, you know, we've only had 75% of schools at this point who have canceled. And that is about the number it's 75, 76, um, percent of, uh, 70, well, about 75%, 74% of division three schools seem to be playing right now on the women's side. It's about 75% as well. That seems to be a good number, but we are just, like I said, 60 to 70 schools away from that eclipsing that number. And if you have any of those conferences delay enough that they won't be eligible for the NCAA tournament, it's over. And so we may still have basketball, just not an NCAA tournament. And that's kind of just weird to wrap your head around. Um, something else to consider. If a team, well, to be eligible, you have to play nine games. If a team plays, let's say, has nine or ten scheduled and loses two, they can apply for uh, an exemption from the championships committee to be in the NCAA tournament, should the NCAA tournament take place. Uh, most likely they would be allowed. I, I would also argue there's no wording that says they have to be Division three opponents. But if we take the criteria of the past, any game against non-Division threes isn't really going to be ranking high in the criteria. Granted, most of the criteria is going to get thrown out in all of this. Uh, we SOS isn't going to mean much when most teams are playing whoever is down the street uh, just to get games in. Head-to-heads probably isn't going to matter much. Win-loss percentage is about the only one we could definitely hang our hats on. Can we really have regional rankings? What's the committee going to be left with? And, and as every single conference backs out, by the way, of handing out an AQ, and right now there's a lot of them who have done so, that's another at-large bid that's back into the mix. And what's crazier about that is those teams who no longer have access to AQ, let's say you're playing in the, uh, in the uh, NECC or you're playing in the NUMAC with autonomy, so you're, you're playing but the NUMAC's not handing out an AQ, you're now a Pool B bid. How many Pool Bs? I don't know yet. It depends on how many schools are actually playing in the uh, in the NCAAs this year, in having a season. That bottom line number, should we have an NCAA tournament, is going to determine how many Pool Bs and then the rest will be Pool C. It's absolutely crazy, and it's a moving target. A lot of these decisions are moving targets. The championship committee is meeting often and having to adjust at all times of what they're doing and what changes they're making and so on and so forth. So again, if you play nine games, but you lost two, you're gonna you can file for an exemption and maybe get an at-large opportunity in the NCAA tournament. They the schools are gonna have to declare their intention at some point. I, I believe a survey is gonna go out, kind of gauging at least how many schools there are who have intent, and then there's gonna be some deadline somewhere. I don't know when, but somewhere they're gonna have to say, hey, by this date we need to know are you playing, and how many games are you planning to play, and when are you planning to play. Because at some point, we need to make a decision, a go-no-go, no go, as it were. Now, the NCAA convention, which is virtual this year, will be March 11th through the 15th, 12th through the 15th, roughly. And that's when management and, and president's councils will next meet. Championship committees met a few times already in the last few weeks. They will meet again in January. Their recommendations will go to management and presidents to be affirmed. So worst-case scenario, well, I don't even know if it's worst-case scenario, but we may blow through the 60% threshold by January 5th, let's just say, argument. But we're going to have to wait until two weeks later to know for sure that the NCAA tournament's over because we just need to make sure management and president's councils are okay with the championship committee's plan. Are you following along? There will be a test later. There's a lot to digest. If you're not rewinding and playing again, I don't blame you 
I'm impressed if you're not. I'm impressed if you're not. There is so much going on. It's hard to keep it all in place. I'll try and recap quickly. We're down to a 48-team tournament. If we don't have 60% of Division Three playing at a time that makes them eligible for the NCAA tournament, there will not be an NCAA tournament. We have a number of schools. We're about 25, 26% of men's basketball, 25, 26% of women's basketball has already canceled or will not be eligible for that NCAA tournament. Um, and if, uh, let's see, if you want to play and be eligible for the NCAA tournament, you got to play nine games. If you have a schedule that's got nine, 10, 11, and, and for reasons outside your control, you don't get all of those games. You can file for and you know to be accepted and and be eligible with less games. No guarantees uh, that you'll get it. So on and so forth. There is so much. Uh, if if a conference has canceled its conference play in AQ and a team in the conference is still eligible for the NCAA tournament, they'll start in Pool B. We don't know how many Pool Bs there are until we know how many part, are participating officially, and then it'll be Pool C. We don't know what the criteria is. The championship committee has absolutely talked about criteria, but to be honest, that's that's going to be a moving target. What what criteria do we hold on to? What criteria do we have to put in place for this season just to make sure everybody's eligible or, or that you at least select teams? I cannot imagine if we have an NCAA tournament what it's going to be like selecting teams, and it might even be good that we have this March 6th, March 7th thing because I don't think we're going to have time on Hoopsville to try and figure that out, certainly. There are so many things going on, so many challenges. It's not, it's not funny. Uh, and, and it's all because of this virus, because schools are making decisions that are based on not only trying to get students on the field or on the courts, but they're also trying to make decisions that are going to keep their doors open or are going to be risk-averse if they can. Or in their region, they can go for it, but in another region, they can't. Just today, as I'm taping this, Willamette, and Lewis and Clark announced that they will not have winter championships. That was something I had heard several weeks ago, but in the weeks leading up, that had started to waver. Maybe they weren't going to do that, and they were going to go ahead and, and do sports. Now today it comes out that they've backed out. Northwest Conference hasn't made a decision. Oregon and Washington's restrictions are getting tighter, just as California's are. You know, here's another one part of that game of numbers in the SCIAC They've announced that there will be no conference play. All but three of the schools in that conference are in L.A. County. And from everything I'm hearing, the chances of anybody playing in, the, in L.A. County are slim and none because they're just not allowing enough students to be on campuses in L.A. County. But if you're, um, if you're Redlands, if you're Calu, or if you're Chapman, you technically have different rules in your counties. But there's no guarantee that they all can play either. Redlands, I'm told, is trying. The sense I got is Chapman and Kalu are not, but I'm not sure for sure. It's so complicated every day trying to figure it out. And now I've talked here for 20 minutes, and I'm not sure if you learned anything, but we're certainly trying. I'm trying to give you a picture, though, of just how complicated this all is. We will talk more about this in the coming podcasts and in the coming show today. And whatnot. I don't want to bore you any further. With that in mind, we will talk about those who are trying, what they're doing with testing, what they're doing with social distancing, what they're doing with practices and games, how they're finding games, how institution is helping them, what the mentality is for the next semester, and all of that coming up on the show. Again, George Barber from uh, Greenville will join us. We'll also talk to him and remind you all 
about how they're playing the system and why it's not maybe the system you're used to. We'll also talk to Kendra Hassel, who is the head coach at Harden-Simmons, about how they're trying to have, essentially, a normal season. And the challenge is there. You're listening to Hoopsville, the podcast. We'll get on to our guests and try and uh, enlighten you, as it were. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can also email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. Back with uh, the doc, George Barber, when we come back. Got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games, leading to two national championships, and we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin, nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us. All of us. To to stop stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Welcome back to the Hoopsville podcast for the month of December. Actually, the first of three podcasts that we are releasing. And, of course, they all have to do with the coronavirus and how it's impacting Division Three basketball. I'm your host, Dave McHugh, and thanks for tuning in. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. Also, follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville, and we promise to do a little bit better at staying up to date there. We're also on Instagram at D3Hoopsville there as well. We'll try and incorporate that a little bit more into our um, usual everyday actions if we can. When it comes to the coronavirus and what we're focusing on in this episode is trying to play, trying to have competitions and being on the court against uh, opponents. Uh, It's not easy, and the vast majority of Division III currently is not playing. More are trying to come back in January, and that is remains to be seen as we talked about in the first segment. Some of the teams that are playing, though, are finding a, a mixture of games, not necessarily in Division Three. The opponents range from Division One, Division Two, NAIA, etc., wherever they can find a game. For Greenville, they got some attention of late. They played four Division One teams in a span of a week. Of course, Greenville plays a system, so the attention not only was the fact that they were playing four Division One teams, but the games are high scoring, the games set records, things that we come to expect with the system, especially when you might take on a Division I opponent. We got a chance to talk to Dr. George Barber, the head coach of Greenville, not only about how they got on the floor and what 
steps they are taking so that they can play the games, especially against Division I opponents and the benefits of that, but also a reminder of the system that they are playing. Little quick hint for later in the show. They're not actually playing the Grinnell version. In fact, they don't want to hear that word. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is the Dr. George Barber of Greenville Men's Basketball. Sir, first and foremost, thanks for taking the time to join us. I hope you are well. Dave, it's great to be here. Thank you. I am doing well. Thank you. Good. We will get to some of the particulars, especially maybe the inside of me asking you how you're doing. But let's, let's be honest, you, you guys have gotten some attention of late, especially by the likes of ESPN and, and Deadspin and others who, who have noticed that a D3 has not only played a D1 four some odd times in a row in a week, the scores have been outrageous. Listen, we're all in D3. To us, this isn't news. You play the system. But to everybody else, no one understands it. So let's get to the basics. Doc. You're playing the system, but please, for those who are uninitiated, explain what you are really doing on the floor or the system that you are running. Right. So let me, let me start with a quick story. We're, we're playing Illinois State a week ago Wednesday, and I know what's going to happen. I know these guys are going to probably kill us. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster. And so um, I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, get some love from the ESPN announcers but because I know what's going to happen and they don't know. So I, I look up on the clock, there's 12 minutes to go before the game and I look around the arena because everything's social distance and I see the announcers, the ESPN announcers are upstairs in a booth and I, I try to try to uh, ascertain how can I get up there really quickly. So I, I figure out here's an open door, I run up there and I say, hey, George, first of all, I said, George, yeah, he says, where have you been for the last 20 years? Because he remembered when I was at Bradley University. Ah. And yeah, yeah. And I said, no, no, I've been right here. I've been at Greenville for the last 20 years. It's been great. We run this thing called the system. Do you know what's getting ready to happen? And he says, no, no, I really don't. He says, I, I heard your team plays fast. I could, no, we're probably going to lose by 60 tonight. But records will be set. We're going to set records. They're going to be, they're going to get the highest score probably ever here in Redbird Arena. We're going to get the highest score for the uh, opposing team. Um, and there'll be somebody that maybe has 50 in the game tonight. So they start laughing and all that stuff. And I tell them a little bit about the system, which is 100 shots a game. 50 of those shots are threes. So basically half our shots are threes. We try to grab one-third or 35% of the available offensive rebounding uh, rebounds by sending four guys to the boards. We try to force – turnovers and we try to shoot the ball 25 more times than the opponent so normal basketball is jump ball offense defense offense defense for us for the Panthers is jump ball offense defense offense steal offense defense offense offensive rebound offense and so therefore we generate 25 extra shots and the theory is some of those shots will go in and we might win the game however we, we can't generate those turnovers quite as easily or those offensive rebounds against a D1 team. So, you know, it would be interesting to see what happens. But I, t I, t I told him, I said, I'll guarantee you this, they're going to play at our pace. Like, we will dictate the pace of the game. There'll be no question about this. It's going to be an up-tempo game tonight. And, you know, they say we're looking forward to it. And so when I do things like that, it helps us with the broadcast guys. I mean, they, they start saying, okay, this is what they do. Um, and sure enough, you know, five minutes into the game, everybody's playing 
at this super high level of, of speed. So well, and and to your credit, you have just answered the question of how that Ryan Scott had had while watching the game. He goes, "Oh my goodness!" Finally, some broadcasters who listened to George, or at right. least did their homework, because they're talking about what he's doing. They're talking about what they're playing. They're talking about why this is different. It's not just a fast-paced game, which, let's be honest, that was game four of the four. You'd played right. Samford. You'd played Kansas Stanford. City. You'd played Murray State yeah. and then Illinois State in a span of a week. And they were the first right. ones to go, oh, this is what's going on, versus right. the other ones who are going, well, this is just crazy. What's going right. I don't. Well, yeah. the, Sam- the Samford guys were, were not too bad. It's the same thing. I got a chance to get to them. I never got to get to the Murray State guys. Um, uh, in the booth and everybody's so it's so awkward like you go up and they kind of stand up and they don't know how close we can get right, we all have right. masks on so um yeah it's a it's a it's um it's important to to get those guys to understand what we're doing and they they don't know at first and there's 50 dunks in the game 50 dunks on our team you know and so they just think what's going on but i, I want to say this thing Every team we play, like once they find out, and this is true, like of Travis Ford, who I coached, and when he got his, you know, team at SLU, and I said, I called him, I said, Travis, I'm right down the road, pay me some money, I'll come play you. Uh, and, and I said, now, listen, Travis, I got to warn you, we play a crazy style. And he's like, no, no, George, that's fine, no problem, no problem. But one week before the game, he calls me up and says, George, I'm watching film, what is going on? <laughs> I go, Travis, uh, I told you, I warned you. I said, but but it's too late. We already signed a contract. You know, we're going to come in and play. So so all these teams like Stanford, everybody, they call and they say, okay, I heard you're testing three times a week. So we don't have a game. Our game got canceled, either COVID restrictions, somebody's not testing. Do you want to play? This is how it goes every time, Dave. And I go, oh, absolutely, we're good to go. We're testing three times a week, which we'll go over that in a minute. Uh, we will do. And then they call back the next day and they say, um, no, we're not going to play. Like you, I talked to Coach. He said, H-E-double, hockey sticks, no, I'm not playing Greenville. Do you realize who they are and what they do? And so, so, I, go, I, so I have to bear with that for about a day or two. And I say, well, look. I know Martin Newton. Uh, Martin's dad got me into the NABC. He knows me. He's an athletic director at Stanford. Uh, Stanford, talk to him. Uh, he'll tell you I'm a good guy. Um, you know, and so, and they, okay, whatever. And about two days later, they call back and they go, geez, George, we could not find anybody else. And although you are the last team on the face of the earth that we want to play, I guess we'll play you. You're literally the last team they want to play, and you're the last team who's available. That's the last team available. So I'm used to it. I don't even get offended anymore. I just go, yeah, thanks. We're still here. Thank you. We'll be down there. We're ready to go. Okay, quickly about the system, a couple other little nuggets. Um, We should point out, you're going to go up tempo. You're going to look for a three right into the possession, right? And if you get an offensive rebound, you want another three. You don't want the layup, correct? Right, right, right. So – we always want to at least get a couple of looks like 50% of our shots to be three. So yes, we say things like, and we write this on the board. If we throw you the ball from the backcourt to the front court, if the point guard throws it to you and his feet are in the backcourt, that means he believes you're open enough to shoot the ball. So shoot it. 
Like if we throw you the ball from the backcourt to the frontcourt, shoot him. We may shoot a three within, you know, four or five seconds of getting the ball inbounds uh, and getting up the floor. Paul West had said he had, um, oh, I'm trying to think of his name, Corey, played for him at uh, Loyola Marymount. Um, I can't remember his last name. But anyways, he said he had him going from top of the key to the top of the key in four seconds, got it to three, got it to two, got it to one second. So that's kind of our deal is how fast can you get the ball moving up the floor? How quickly can you get a shot? And then if you shoot it, we want you to repair to the top of the key. And we're sending all four of the other guys to the, to the basket to get the rebound to get you a second shot. Because you just missed one. So we think you'll probably make the next one. Corey Gaines, by the way, is who you're thinking of. Gaines, thank yeah. you. Gaines. Uh, part I of that Hank Gathers team. For anybody out there listening to this, if you want to know where the system started, it technically started with Paul Westhead at Loyola Marymount, Marymount with, with uh, Hank Gathers and the rest of that crew, but though they did it differently, they didn't sub like you do. That's, so a couple yeah. other tenants. You're also going to play full-court defense trying to get that steal, correct? You, and if it breaks the half court, you're giving up. You're giving up. And I don't mean that negatively. I mean, you're giving it up to get the ball back. Right. So we have to force three out of ten possessions for the opponent. Three out of ten have got to be turnovers. And that if we do that, I mean, the, the stats show we'll, we're going to win like 95% of the time. So we, um, we do press. We press if we make it. We press if we miss it. We have several different types of press. We have the missed shot press, but we're going to press. We're going to press 100% of the time. And if we, if you get it across half court, we're going to press you in the half court. We're going to trap you, and we're just going to try to keep. So you will as ragged as possible. You will get a little aggressive in the in the in that back court, um, whereas, or I mean, you're going to get aggressive once the ball crosses the midline. That's not always a tenant of Grinnell or others. Sometimes they will just let the ball go at once it gets into the offensive set. Yeah, no, no, we, that's, that is true. We are not like that. And in fact, uh, and I love Dave Arsenault, uh, senior and junior, great guys. They've been super helpful, nice to me, but I do not let the word Grinnell be used in our program. Sure, like, no, I get people, it. People know not to say that, my assistants and everything, because we don't, well, we, do, we do try to defend all the way to the basket. We're going to challenge you all the way at the basket. And um, so that, that might be a little different. Now, it doesn't appear that way when we're playing D1. Oh, no, sure, yeah. You know, they're just so big and tall and fast and strong, and they throw over us, and while we're scrambling back to contest, yeah. boom, you know, there's a dunk. So. Yeah, that's where the height definitely becomes a factor. Um, and then the other big difference between the Loyola Marymount version and, that's synonymous with this in the Division three level you are going to sub en masse often, every minute to 90 seconds or so? Right. No, that's exactly right. So if we go for every 60 seconds. It used, sometimes we leave players on the floor for 90 or two minutes, but they, they don't like that. No. I mean, they, no, they, they're tugging, they're looking at me, and I'm going, well, I mean, you know, I mean, either you got a foul or they got a foul because I'm not stopping the clock. Got to get a whistle. <laughs> yeah, got to get a whistle. So I, I may say something like, drive you know drive and get fouled uh, if you want to get off the floor and get yourself a, a, a break um or you know occasionally i may say foul but that's that's very rare i'd rather i'd rather them foul us sure. you know obviously by driving so yeah. so that's the brief synopsis of the system to any of you 
out there who don't quite understand. Um, again, start with Loyola Marymount. I'd love to see a D1 program go with it because with that height and stuff, it might be a fascinating thing to see. But you have taken it and evolved it for you, and, and everybody does, and you've certainly added some other elements that make it a little bit different. I am curious, though, four games against D1s, and I asked this out of seriousness. By the way, we should point out, we're ta- this will be released after the fact, your game against Lincoln Memorial, which is a, a top, top program. Uh, yeah, I told the team, I said, that may be the best team we play out of all these teams. There's- Fair. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past you there. What, did they lose like their first five last year? Um, and we're on an absolute tear to uh, possibly like win another national championship. Yeah. Um, they're, they're just, they're absolutely insane. Anyway, my point being is, Normally, D3's got a little money for playing a D1. You hinted at it. Did you get paid for these four games? Right. So, so that's the deal. I went into my athletic director, and, and here's how this all started. We, our president, wonderful lady, um, University of Illinois uh, law school graduate, um, set up a deal where we get tested twice a week doing the saliva spit test. It's like 99% accurate. Uh, we had been doing that all fall. And we had this deal going with the University of Illinois where we're doing this already on campus. So I told my AD and the president, I, I said, I want to play. Of course, everybody wants to play. We're already testing twice a week. We, in our conference, had already pushed our games back to like February. And so I said, um, all we got to do is add one test a week. We're going to meet the criteria. Let me go out send a a mass email out. I'll buy like, you know, go to Clellway, get about $600 worth of labels. And I'll tell, I'll send an email out to the entire nation, say I'll play anybody, anywhere, anytime. I'm testing three times a week. Uh, Let me do it. And they said, okay, but we got to get insurance. And then the whole insurance thing was a debacle. It was, you know, they thought they would get more. Uh, the insurance companies thought they got, would get more uh, patrons, but they, they weren't able to. Anyways, we all agreed that if we can get the testing three times a week, we will be able to play. And Dave, I had 300 responses. Wow. Yep, 300 responses. And by the way, the 600 you sent, all levels? No, no, that was $100. It was probably 2000 Yeah, I'm sorry. All levels. Oh, all one, levels. Two, three. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So because I was, I was just going – you're like, I don't know who's in and who's out. Like, I don't, so let me just make myself available. Well, the division threes, 99% or 95% of them came back and said, hey, we want to play, but we can't play in January. So our school's not letting us play until January. So um, we just said, okay, let's recircle back in January. But division ones, I knew that there were going to be some cancellations early like November 25th, all the way up till, you know, conference started. And I thought that's my window. And, you know, you're right. They get, they, they will give a small stipend. But the thing about it is, is they're not getting a gate. They're not, they don't have, you know, they don't have, they're not getting the resources, but some of these games were ESPN games. And remember, I'm the last team in the world they want to play, but they had to be so desperate to get a team that, you know, and if I was available, I and and what I I told the other uh, news outlet a couple of days ago uh, up in Peoria that you know we'll we'll go out my team and we'll run the concession stand at football <laughs> football we'll cook hamburgers and hot dogs pork burgers all this stuff brats 
and we'll make about $1,000 every Saturday for five Saturdays in the fall while we're working our tails off. And that we have to raise five to $7,000 a year, you know, to, to make our program work. Well, we go out and we play these four D1 games and, you know, we're already, you know, triple that amount. Um, and we're playing basketball. We're not even cooking hamburgers and hot dogs. So it's, it's been a real blessing for us. I mean, we're, we're thankful and, um, it's it's been really fun. Our, our kid, now it's hard to get beat by so much. That well, part that was gonna George. That was gonna be my next question because, yeah. listen, you played four D ones. Yeah, yeah, you got paid. It's also an amazing experience whenever a D three can play a D one, no matter who that D one necessarily is. But you played four in a row in a week. To right. be blunt, despite the system, you got your rears handed to you, the, the and Absolutely. you knew that going in. How much do you worry? of what that does mentally to your team? What do you think it, how, how the school reacts to that? And, and honestly, how do, you, how do you worry about what it looks like externally? So, right, so what I, what I did, so let, let me just give you the whole scenario. First, first of all, I said, I prayed, I said, God, blind my recruits' eyes to the score when they see it come across the ticker on ESPN. Let them see Greenville, but don't let them remember the score because I knew it was going to be bad. That's kind of funny. But I, I really there's a typo. I, yeah, yeah, like there must be a typo. And, and, and literally the ESPN sent some memes out that was like, this has got to be a typo. Like, yes. You know. So, um, but, the, but the other thing is, you know, I, I was kind of laughing with my president. She came to the game. John Morant was at the game at Murray State. She was there. She and her husband, they came in our locker room and saw how we did the put-ups and everything. And I invited John Morant. I said, I said, John, come in my locker room. And he, like, kind of almost got up to head that way, and here comes security. And they said, no, 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 he can't. I said, I know. We'll wear our mask. But they said, no, he can't do that. So, but, but. She, you know, she said to me, George, I guess maybe all publicity is good publicity. I mean, you're, you're positive when you're talking to the ESPN people. They're saying nice things about Greenville. You have a style. Everybody knows that this is what you're doing. Um, and, you know, they kind of admire the fact that you, you do it despite you're playing Division One. You know you're going to get killed. Um, you stick with what you do. The true system people – really admire what we're doing. I mean, they're saying, you know, yeah, you're not backing off just because you're playing D1s. But the, the, I, I guess the biggest thing is, here's what I did. And I knew this was going to be tough. I have this thing uh, I got from Frosty Westring. Do you remember Frosty Division Three uh, national yeah. champion? He, he, he calls his program Make the Big Time Where You Are. He's at Pacific Lutheran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember Frosty? Okay, so yeah. Frosty's a mentor of mine. So I have this big poster in my locker room and in my office. It's called the Big Time Toolbox. And it talks about all this stuff like heart power and me versus me. And people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's not the size of the opponent. It's, you know, uh, are you going to give it your best shot? Um, they talk about it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight and the dog. So, Dave, I literally – ripped that poster down off my locker room wall, rolled it up, put it under my arm, and I carried it everywhere I went for that week of playing the Division Ones. I would put the poster up on the court side as we're practicing. You know, they're in awe as we come in these 
Division I gyms. Um, I put it up in the locker room. I'd say, it's the process. It's not the end of the road. It's the journey that's important. You're learning. I'm so proud of you. There's only one thing you can control. Well, two things, your attitude and your effort. We're going to celebrate these games. We're going to do put-ups after the games. So we did all that. And, you know, I, I just – I knew that my number one goal and role was going to be to keep these guys buoyed under this extremely difficult circumstance of having them play Division One, where they're going to knock your – you know, your ankles off and you're going to bite your tongue in two because it just hit you so hard. I mean, literally those things happen and we're kind of licking our wounds as we're leaving the gym, but we're going, what a great experience. And again, we've got to control our attitude and control our effort. And I thought our kids were great. They never, they never waned on any of those two things. There was one time at Murray state, one kid kind of talked back to a coach. And so I had to get on him. But other than that, it's, it's been all positive because I said, it's got to be positive. And when you get to D3 teams, you know, this work will have paid off. That's kind of how we approached it. Let me switch gears. We've hinted at testing. You're doing testing three times a week. But I think something that, that is important for everybody to understand, you guys have kind of, what's for lack of a better description, stumbled into a, a bit of a, of, a, of a reward, isn't the right word, but a, a bit of a luck in terms of there's another university who said, listen, can we use you guys as a, as a, as a guinea pig of sorts? So yeah. you don't really have any costs here. No. So that, that's the key. And I knew because I'd been in Division One, this was going to be a window. I knew teams were going to pay. I knew I wasn't going to be afraid to play them. I knew I felt comfortable playing Division One teams because I coached at that level. Um, I knew the protocol. I knew the timeout scenario, the – post pregame, all that kind of stuff. And I knew people to call and you're right. We stumbled into it in the sense that because we were testing, I said, that's going to allow us to play. And I thanked my president. I, you know, Suzanne Davis, she's been fantastic. She got this thing set up early in the summer and where we're testing with the university of Illinois and we are a Guinea pig. We're a pilot program. So I had to get tested in Birmingham, Alabama versus Sanford, and I could not find a clinic, it was a day before Thanksgiving, that would test us for less than $110 per person. That's so a that's lot. A, that's, a two, that's a $2,500 value, yeah. you know, to get tested. So um, we ended up, Kansas City tested us for free. That was very nice of them, but we had the other two tests in place to make it the three for the week. But, but that's what I said. That I said, like, this is – that was what was so stressful about this deal was the whole testing light. Like, I, we drove all the way to Kansas City. We, we took the test, and then we have to sit there for an hour twiddling our thumbs. <laughs> you know, are we positive? Do we have a positive? Because if we have a positive, we just turn around and go home. Yeah. There is, there is no guarantee. There is no game. There is no fun. We just wasted a whole day driving over here, but we were clean. And, you know, you know, I, I'm telling these kids constantly, you know, wear your mask, stay within the bubble. Come on, guys. Like, we cooked our own meals the whole week of Thanksgiving. I got a kitchen on campus. It's, we have a nice smart center, it's called. And 
as a kitchen and, and we went and bought our own groceries. We cooked our own meals. And you know what, Dave? It's good for those kids to cook their own meals. You know, and like we had wings one night and they were, they were terrible. I mean, I'm whispering. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the sauce was okay. My, my, one of my players got the sauce ingredients from his dad, but they burned them and it took way too long. You know, that's the thing about chicken. Like if you, undercook, yes. if you overcook it, it's terrible. It's dry. If it's undercooked, you may die. You're right. So, you know, so like we're trying to, these are 20 year old kids and they're trying to learn that's so good for us because then you have to look at your teammate in the eye and you you're chewing this you know really rubbery bad chicken and you're having to tell him it's not so bad because you don't want to hurt his feelings but you know if it's like somebody else you complain like ah the the cafeteria people they're terrible we don't really know them we complain but if it's your teammate you learn to be gracious you know and give them a break and say yeah it's not that bad but we all left the table and said that was terrible (laughs) Um, but so the testing's getting taken care of you guys have been very forward thinking and playing your women's teams playing as well you guys are trying to go out there and do what a lot of teams are not doing to some degree your your players are getting an experience no one else is getting not the d1s i just mean the fact they're playing games where was there a decision at some point along the lines whether it was before you finally locked in testing or after that said, listen, we're going to keep pushing forward. And how are you doing it to be safe? If that makes any sense, or what are your, what are your efforts to be as safe as possible? Right. So we, we, we just totally remind the guys, like, first of all, in practice, all the coaches are wearing masks. Um, We try to do as much as we can with our group of five. We kind of had these pods of five. So we shoot, we room on the road with people that are, are uh, already roommates. We ride on the bus beside your roommate. You wear oh, a mask okay. when you're on the bus. I should send you pictures. When we eat at a restaurant, we eat outside. Like we get our food and we go outside. Now, one day when we played Illinois State, it was cold. So I called uh, a manager, a former player of mine, who's a, a he's video guy with the women's team up there now, Brian Ayersman, and I said, Brian, can you get us like in a tunnel or somewhere inside? It's cold today. <laughs> we just want to eat, you know, inside. But most of our meals, we eat outside um, just, to, just to, you know, social distance. So we, we do take it very seriously. We're not cavalier at all about the protocols. I mean, we, we wear the mask. We do the things. We, our trainers having us wipe things down. Um, and you know, we're trying to, we're trying to be as careful as possible. So what, I mean, you say you're being as careful as possible and, and I certainly believe it. Unfortunately, this, nothing's perfect. We all know that nothing's perfect. And unfortunately for you guys, we hinted at the fact earlier, your game against Lincoln Memorial had to be called off and that's because it's not perfect. Is it not? Right. We had a positive. So the young man is in quarantine and he's, he's feels great. He's really upset that he's in quarantine, but uh, we had said from the very get go, we're not going to blame. We're not going to be mad at anybody who gets it. Uh, we're going to assume that you're not going out and you're doing what we're asking you to do, which is basically play basketball, go to practice, go to class and go to your room. And um, this, this is, he's a freshman, super young man. And, and, you know, 
we told him, we said, hey, we love you. We're not mad at you. You couldn't help it. Thank you for trying. And, you know, but at this point, we had to, you know, you have to shut the whole team down. I mean, every, everybody on the team goes into contact quarantine, except for the coaches who, uh, one coach actually who had worked with that group a little bit uh, more than the others, and we did some goal-setting things, the practice uh, said, you know, I think I will self-quarantine. So, okay. uh, yeah, so we, we gave him that choice. Um, but we're all, we're all being precaution. And um, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's a thing where, again, you, it's a bullet. You're dodging it, you're dodging it, you're dodging it. And sometimes you just can't dodge it. Yeah, especially as numbers are exponentially climbing right now. Um, yeah. I am curious about the next step. Your Lincoln Memorial game was scheduled to be the last one you would have. Normally, would say for 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 the holidays, um, you don't have a game scheduled now until February twenty four, when right. the Slyak is scheduled to finally start. Right. Um, I don't know if you're planning to play games in between. I'm sure you would love to if you can. But my 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 bigger question is, the Slyak has made a decision along with technically three other conferences when you split out the MAC. Right. Um, to as of this recording this could change by the way by the time we get to uh the time this airs um to play it later to give a better chance of having a season however it would forego the aq and not allow any of the teams to be able to be in the ncaa tournament because you're you're starting a week and a half before the the regular season is supposed to be concluded for a possible NC tournament. I know you have mixed feelings on that. I'm kind of just curious about yeah. your thoughts. Yeah, no, thanks for asking. I mean, I was, I was disappointed that we pushed it back to where we couldn't get an AQ. I mean, that's, that's something that the kids enjoy shooting for. Um, and so obviously I was disappointed. However, let me say on the other side, on the other, on the other hand, um, I, you know, with the cost of testing and we get it for free, um, and if the other schools would have to pay, literally, even if we had a $5 test and every sport had to, you know, be tested that was going to play in the spring for these schools at small schools, division three, sly X schools, others, others, division three are in similar situation. You're looking at, you know, um, $30,000, which is a lot, but if it's a hundred dollar test, I mean, you're looking at, you know. I don't know. I mean, well over a quarter of a million. I mean, three hundred thousand dollars. I mean, these it becomes impossible to pay the fee to be tested. So when I look at my coaches, my fellow coaches, athletic directors, presidents in the Slack, I go, I, I, I have to say, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that we could, we could do it uh, either if we had to pay a hundred dollars per test three times a week. It's just, it just becomes cost prohibitive. By the way. I think when t- when people are doing that, I believe it's price gouging. I believe it's like what the hotels charge in South Georgia during the hurricane season in Florida. You know, it's just not fair. What you know, I, I, so I don't like that. I believe there could be a ten or fifteen dollar, maybe a five dollar test out there. Um, but anyways, nevertheless, I understand why they're not able. You know, why they're not able to pay that fee, and we wouldn't either. So this is what I think is going to happen, Dave. I think I am going to be able to continue playing games other teams are, are slotted to play, but they can't. 
because they have a positive. And so I'm going to, you know, if we're testing, we don't have a positive, we can stay in quarantine, stay in a bubble as much as we can, then I believe I'll, I believe I can get six or eight games in January and maybe a half a dozen more in February before our conference starts. That's what I'm hoping. D1, D2, or D3. So I'm going to ask a question, understanding that I could be opening up Pandora's box with this. Okay. And you talk about getting other games. If you focused on getting them in D3, you may have enough games to qualify for the NCAA tournament. Oh, man. And skip the SLIAC schedule. I, yeah. I, again, I'm opening Pandora's box here. Right. But I wouldn't be opening it if I didn't already have kind of stuff in my head or, or talking with others that that kind of thing could happen somewhere. Dave, Would you consider it? You're talking to a guy who's who sat on a committee for four years. Yeah, and well, and also put an email out said I'll play anybody, anytime, anywhere, and we've kind of done it. So I, I complete, and I we run the system. I completely love out of the box thinking. Like I mean, this is what I'm talking about. This is pioneering type thought process. Would it happen any other year? No, but in a COVID year, in a COVID year. Sure. Like if I can be in the field of 48 because we don't have enough AQs or, or something weird, wacko, crazy happens. Absolutely. I think that'd be fantastic. Do you worry about backing out of that SLIAC schedule? No, because I, I mean, I just, unless they come out with a, a least a, a lesser expensive test, I don't, I don't know that the other, there's only one other team in our conference um, that's testing Iowa Wesleyan. It's their last year in the conference. So I don't know that they're even going to still have that season. I mean, my guess is that's 50-50 right now as well. It, you say you're, you'll play all comers, but for that to be able to be eligible, you're going to have to focus more on D3s. Absolutely. Would you well, be able to find I, those D3s? What? Could you find those D3s? Well, I hope so, because what has happened in my initial email was I got a lot of D3 interest, but they were all saying we will start in January. Sure, sure. So, you know, let's just say even if it's a conference game, let's say it's a CCIW, it's a close school or WashU or some UAA or something, and they have a game scheduled and the team calls and says we had a positive, we can't play. Well. I'm still good if I'm still in the game. I mean, Dave, these things are happening like the night before. Like they're happening two days. Contracts are being changed, sent all within a 24-hour notice. And we're putting things on the bus and going. So, I mean, I think it's like I I explain it as a massive game of survivor. We're all on the island. As long as you don't have a positive 10, you're still on the island and you can compete. So – um, I, I, I would, we're, we're planning to gear more toward D three in January and February, because we just feel like that's where, you know, that's the next step. I knew the D ones would be early. And now I'm hoping that the D threes would open up, um, you know, January, February. Um, I'll finish on this. I'll go back to the beginning where you said you called some D one colleagues, people who knew you knew and whatnot, and you warned them about what you do as a system. And yeah. you gave them fair warning that this is what we do. I hearken back to when you started the system 
at Greenville. You did not do that to a Mr. Ron Rose. You did not do that to some others. And I believe they're going to be calling you, asking <laughs> why you at least did not give them fair warning, sir. Well, we, that's a super fair question. Ron and I are great friends. <laughs> Even though my and, tongue was firmly in my cheek. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we're great friends. And I knew there was going to be the, the initial game. I was going to have to look Ron in the eye after the game, shake his hand, and say, Ron, I sincerely apologize. And you know what? You know what? And here's the thing. Ron was so gracious. That's exactly what I did. You know, they scored 150. We had 117. We set the record for most points by the home and the opponent and combined score, all that stuff. And I, and I, was, I had my apology ready. I was like, I had rehearsed it, you know, all week. I know it's going to come. And so I go up, and there's Ron. And I said, Ron, I apologize. And, and he said, and he kind of grabbed my hand. He said, George, no. He said, don't apologize. He said, this was great. He says, I, I encourage you. Your kids played hard. He goes, don't, uh, don't give up on it. And, and literally Ron's response helped me to, you know, what started a two and 12 yeah. beginning. It was terrible, but it helped me kind of hang in there because here's a guy I respect. Who's a tremendous coach who's saying, no, George, just, this is fine. You're, it's okay. Your kids are playing hard. Uh, I respect what you're doing. He didn't shake his head. He didn't poo-poo me. He was very gracious. And I, had he responded differently, I might have I been so shaken up that I stopped doing it. But he was gracious, well, and I always thanked him for that. That's because he had all game to pick up his jaw off the floor and stop shaking his head right, because maybe. he had time to finally understand what was going on in front of him. Yeah, probably you're right. <laughs> I Ron's a great guy, super great guy, and he was a great encouragement to me. And, uh, you know, but, yeah, after you get that person out of the way, everybody else pretty much knows it's coming. They probably yeah. don't believe it. No. They don't – are they really going to do it? They really, you know, they, we've done it for so long now. Everybody's like, yeah, this is what they do. <laughs> Cat's out of the bag. That's out hey, of the bag. Uh, I appreciate the time. As always, a, a well-detailed um, and, and, and helpful chat. I could talk to you forever, but we do need to let you go. Uh, I wish you all the best over the holidays. I wish your team the best, especially uh, the one player recovering. Um, and, and I hope you guys can, can continue on. Let us know what your plans are in January, February, and so forth, please. Right. And uh, as always, we leave the final word to the guest. Any final thoughts well, again, you want to share with those I, tuned in? What I want to say, Dave, is thank you for what you do. I'm so glad to see you up and recovering you. from your back surgery. That's a good sign. And I hope we can get sport started in a bigger way this spring. But uh, thanks for all you do and making sport happen for, um, you know, and hyping sport and encouraging sport at the Division Three level. You just do a fantastic job. So well, thanks thank a you. Lot. Appreciate the kind words. Enjoy it. Take care. Thanks for the fun chat. We'll thank talk to you soon. Happy holidays. Happy yep. holidays. He is George Barber, and he is from Greenville. Hey, heads up. They run the system. Joining us on the Hoopsville Blue Frame Technology Hotline. So there you have it from Dr. George Barber at Greenville. Once again, thanks to him for joining us. A very in-depth conversation, a very lengthy conversation. I hope you didn't mind the time. I didn't feel like editing any of it out because I thought it was all very important and very interesting. First off, let's go back to the system. If you didn't pick up some of the notes there, they're not playing the Grinnell system. Uh, they're not playing the one we are so used to, 
to thinking about. It's much more aggress aggressive defensively, and they don't like being compared to it. I, I can understand that, and uh, certainly well, raises my um, interest, to say the least. Uh, the other thing, just what they're trying to do to be on the floor, and unfortunately, how it doesn't work out all the time. They are done for this semester, uh, didn't get a chance to play the game they wanted to. I don't know if they would have stopped what was a 34-game winning streak, now 35-game winning streak at all. But needless to say, um, they're they're trying to get it done. They're trying to make it work. I think a lot of schools will model what they have done and what they are doing and see if they can go with it. Uh, I, I think <laughs> it's complicated. Uh, I also, let's keep an eye on whether... George Barber decides maybe he wants to be in the Division Three tournament uh, and and ducks the slack. I hope I haven't opened up Pandora's box there, but it was a question I think needed to be asked because there is an opportunity possibly there, despite the Slyak's ulterior plans. We'll see more as we follow the program into January and see where they go from there. When we come back, we'll head down to Texas, talk to a women's team, that if you looked at their schedule, you would swear there is no pandemic. They've got 24 games on their schedule. Talk to Harden Simmons women's basketball, Kendra Hassel, when we return. You're listening to the Hoop Soul Podcast. Back with more after this. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division Three student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important. But as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go into personal training and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. Welcome back to the Hoopsville Podcast. Not that we have much breaks, but it changes the pace of things. Thanks for taking the time to join us. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. We're talking to coaches who have programs that are playing despite this pandemic or maybe inspired by the pandemic. Our next guest is Kendra Hassel out of Hardin-Simmons Women's Basketball. You look at their schedule. 24 games are on the schedule. Certainly daunting, to say the least, in a normal season, we might be asking why they're playing some non-Division three opponents and why they only have 24 games and not 25 before the conference tournament. But in a season like this, we ask, how do you have 24 games on the schedule? 
The answers are pretty interesting. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's the head coach of Hardin-Simmons Women's Basketball. It's Kendra Hassel. And coach, first and foremost, thanks for taking the time to join us. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Um, again, this show is about those who are trying to make a go of it, as it were, in COVID. You guys have an extreme side of it, which is kind of weird to say, and we'll get to that. But on the base of it, on the, on, the, on the basement level, as it were, on the foundation, you guys are trying to play in a tough situation, granted, in an area that has been a little bit more forgiving. Just give us a sense of how it's gone so far. To be real honest with you, it's been a roller coaster ride. Um, and I had a friend the other day ask me, do you think it's worth it going up <laughs> and down and and getting games and then getting games canceled, is it harder on you to do it that way? And, and I told them um, after our last game on Saturday that it's absolutely worth it. Just seeing the girls get out there and have a chance to get on the court and play the game they love, even though we've now canceled or, you know, moved two games this week and we're having to deal with that. I know that when we get that next game, it will have been worth it again. Yeah, it's interesting. You guys have played four games so far, starting back on the very first day, I believe, that you were capable of playing in the Division Three schedule on November 7th. Um, and when we look at the schedule, you have 24 games scheduled. Um, in a normal year, I'd be asking you why you don't have 25 and why you filled your holes with NAI opponents. This year, my question is, wow, 24 games, Coach. That's, that's pretty darn impressive. What's been the mentality? It feels, well, I mean, everybody's got different thoughts. What's been the mentality going into this season despite the challenges? Well, early on, before we even knew the NCAA was going to grant a waiver for the players to return, um, we just wanted to get them as much of a normal experience as possible. We, we have great players on our team, and I felt like it would be cheating them if we couldn't get them a full schedule. And so we started working really hard. And, and obviously we kind of had to open the, the gates as far as who we were willing to play and if we were willing to go on the road. I mean, we've done some crazy things like uh, we had an 11 o'clock tip in Dallas and just drove straight up there, got off the bus and played. I mean, we would never do that, you know, in a, a normal season, but we've been willing to do kind of whatever just to try to get them the full experience if possible. Well, it, it, it kind of goes with some others. I've seen coaches with three games back to back to back. I'm like, that would never happen in a regular season. No one would consider doing even – back-to-backs unless they absolutely had to. Exactly. So obviously it's different. You've played three NAIAs, for example, before your first Division Three opponent in Howard Payne, as of us taping this before we release it. it. Have you had to jump through extra hoops than maybe a normal school would have to do so in these conditions? Or is it the same hoops, you're just making the extra effort? The same hoops, just extra effort. I mean, gotcha. and we've been rejected a lot of times reaching out to, to schools, trying to play them or, or whatever. But, I mean, obviously you have the COVID hoops now and the, the extra protocols and things that you have to jump through as well. And, um, you know, certain schools require you to test on certain days and you have to do those things. So, but we're just willing to make it work. And thankfully we have an administration that really is on board with getting these student athletes as much of a full experience as possible. And so they're helping us jump through those hoops. And I want to get to the administration in a moment. I want to talk about testing because that's so much of the conversation. Mm -hmm. the, the bar, as it were, the guidelines have adjusted here and there mm -hmm. I, I, to the point where I can't even follow along necessarily. I realize that's for others to decide, but how much do you have to, keep track of those testing guideline adjustments 
and how much do they impact then your practice and or game schedule? And, and is it like literally having to manage something else for your team? Absolutely. Um, and for a while, our conference hadn't come out with any testing protocol that, that we could go by. And so we were having to kind of make do with our own school policies and what we felt we were comfortable with and just communicating with our opponents and letting them know. Um, we had a couple of Zoom calls where my athletic director and I sat down with a coach and just said, here's what we're doing. Are you OK with this? Um, so, yes, we're having to do a lot more. Um, here recently, now we're having to think about if we're testing 72 hours before a game this week, we're going to play Wednesday and Saturday. So technically our second test would happen on a game day and yeah. we have a 2 PM tip. So how are we going to work that out? Are we going to test right before shoot around? Or are we going to test after the game? Can we get everybody tested? Um, so I'm pushing for, hopefully we can test that next day. Our results have been coming in fairly quickly, um, day of the test. And so I feel like that's a legitimate um argument but we're gonna see how we can work that out so yes i mean every week there's a new challenge or something else you have to think about or get scheduled or uh, get help with many times well you got to worry that you know obviously with a, an uptick right now more people being tested might slow down the turnaround on those tests if you don't have your results before a game could postpone something god forbid you get a positive case that you need to double check because it could be a false positive or you want to confirm that data. There's got to be a lot of kind of um, moving parts, as it were, that you're juggling more than you normally would. Are, are you now having to delegate more to others or is it all falling on your shoulders that needs to fall and others' shoulders that it needs to fall onto? No, we're spreading it out. We have a great athletic training staff. Our um, athletic trainer that works with women's basketball has really been helpful through this. Our athletic director, which is, is amazing, he actually sets up our testing for us. Oh, okay. We send him our times. He communicates with the hospital down the street, and they have been unbelievable working with us as well. We just have these times set up. We drive over there. We get our results back really quickly. So we're fortunate here in Abilene that we have a good system. We know that some of our conference opponents are struggling with getting results in time. And, and those were some of the issues weighing into the president's decisions about our testing protocols. Um, but things that we really haven't had to deal with a whole lot, thankfully. I mean, we're just in, a, in an area that our cases stayed pretty low for a long period of time. And so we were able to kind of move forward. We've seen that spike that you're talking about here recently. And um, we're concerned now about things like um, the capacity um, limits dropping. And so now we've got to allow less fans and how that's going to affect things. But you're right. That also affects testing. So we definitely don't want to squeeze that too much because if we had a false positive or something, we would definitely want to make sure that we found that out before the game. You kind of hinted at it with fans. I want to step back a bit. What are the protocols when it comes to practice, when it comes to games? What do, do teammate, team players have to do? What do you have to do as a coach? Everything from fast mask wearing to washing it. I'm, I'm curious about it all. Can you kind of give us a synopsis? Sure. We're all wearing masks um, in practice. We raise them up and down when needed. We stay six feet away from the coaches for sure. Stay six feet away at all times. If they're running on one end, I'm at half court and I never get within six feet of the players. We stay spread out where you would huddle up or where we always pray to start practice, where we would put our arms around each other. We're not doing that anymore. We're staying really spread out. Um, we're sanitizing balls frequently. Um, on the road, we are taking our own bus. So this affects, you know, the, the budget because we usually travel with the men. We're seating, you know, opposite sides of the bus and really spreading out on there. 
Um, games, we have our bleachers all taped off, so it's every other row. Uh, they're required to wear masks, and I think that our, you know, obviously with the other, every other row being taped off, that limits our capacity as well. Um, those are just the things off the top of my head. I'm sure I've forgotten some of them. Players are doing temp checks and symptom checks every single day when they come into the gym. Um, they have a QR code, they scan, and they have to go through this form and send it in. So technology helps uh, yeah. these days with some of that stuff, but um, it's a lot. It really is a lot. And, and if another school you want to play doesn't meet your, your standards, I'm assuming that game will not happen. They got to meet your standards or you have to meet theirs, whoever has it more stringent. That's correct. So when we were going to play Arlington Baptist, they sent us their form. They wanted us to complete their um, symptom check form, and we had to have that finished and sent in to them before we even got on the bus. So it's a little bit different for everyone that you play. And, and yes, you have to be in communication that week just to make sure. Um, I know that we had planned to go out to Alpine and play. That was the original game on our schedule. We were going to play them at Sol Ross. And she was emailing me about what type of test we were going to take, when we were going to take it, how many we would have taken before then. Um, and so it's just a little bit different for everywhere. And it's interesting because I've talked to some in the conference and it feels like the other dynamic in play here, because at this point, the rest of your schedule is conference-based, some non-conference games. You mentioned Saul Ross and there's East Texas Baptist and, and McMurray, but then there'll be conference play. So some of them you're going to play more than twice. But I know there's some who, who are probably nervous about the dynamics. Some are in bigger cities. As you point out, you guys haven't seen the impact that maybe bigger areas or metropolitan areas have seen. There's got to be a dynamic in this conference of, of um, not instability, but of just not knowing what's solid, I, I would assume, on a week-to-week basis. Absolutely. And, and not to you know, kind of point to one school, but we've known from early on that Concordia was having some very strict rules. They weren't being allowed to do nearly as much as the rest of us. And um, so I've already been thinking about what's going to be like when we go to Austin, because that's going to be a little bit more of a different challenge. And, and their coach is a really great guy and a great coach. And, you know, he started putting out some suggestions to the conference about maybe y'all bring your own balls. I mean, that was nothing that anyone else had really even discussed, you know, and it makes a lot of sense. Now they're not having to clean our balls after shoot around and we're not having to worry about that extra step. So we're going to see things like that as we continue to move forward. And um, every, like you said, everybody's area is a little bit different and everybody's um, had different experiences. Maybe they've experienced their own tragedy. We know of a president in our conference who had um, really had a hard time with some family members that have gone through it. And so that has impacted a lot of their decisions. And sure. uh, we actually had a young lady on our team who lost a grandfather to COVID and um, she has gone home now to be with her family for a little while. And, we support her and whatever she's doing and, and having that time to just kind of get through this. I mean, because this is really a, truly a challenge. Do you worry about what's out of your control? And, and I mean that everywhere I talk, the student athletes are making the effort to follow procedures, follow protocols, do what they need to do for the most part. And there's exceptions, but for the most part of doing everything they can so that they can have a season. But they can't control the rest of the student body. Yep. They can't control the rest of their the community the college is in or the community that their families reside in or whatever other example there is. Is there worry that other places or even the own 
students on your own campus are gonna end up derailing what you're trying to do in put a full season together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about that. I've had coaching friends talk about that. Like we've joked about, let's just lock them in the locker room and make sure all they do is come to practice and do online school. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course mine were like, that sounds like fun coach, big slumber party. Um, <laughs> but you know, there are so many things that you can't control. You know, we can do everything perfect, but if the other team that we're supposed to play ends up with a case, it gets canceled anyway. So I think we've had to keep in mind, you know, I had coaching friends also that said, we're not letting our players go home for Thanksgiving. And yeah. so they kept them there. They practiced, they did, you know, a dinner of course, and took care of them. Sure. But at the same time, you have to consider the student athlete experience because they may even be safer going home. And if they stay in town, maybe they get it from somewhere in town. So, you know, you can't control all those things. And so we're trying here and, and our coaches have talked about this a lot just to keep in mind the greater experience of the student athlete. You know, if you didn't let them go home and see their family at Thanksgiving, how good of a time are they truly having? And so we're trying to keep that in mind, just understanding there aren't things that we can control, but we have to take care of the things that we can. And, you know, you've heard the cliche, control the controllables forever. That's coach speak. I mean, we talk about that all the time. And I do think our players are doing a great job with that. Um, we thought we were playing on Sunday and yesterday I had to give them the news that that's been changed and they're rolling with it and they're yeah. going to be fine and they're going to take advantage of the next opportunity they get. I mean, they were texting me last night, coach, what if we play this D1 or what if we play them? And I'm like, okay, we're going to figure it out. You know, so they're, um, they're really rolling with it and I'm proud of them for that. Literally one day at a time, literally <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Exactly. Um, usually we roll our eyes at that, but this year for sure yeah. we can understand it. Sure. Uh, well, let's go back to the administration side of things. You, you talk about the, the support um, and the encouragement and whatnot. Can you give us a sense from the very top down, from the presidential level down, what that support has been like and, and how we can see it or how you see it? Our president here, Eric Brunmeyer, has been fighting for athletics since day one to start with the fall sports and then go to the winter sports. I and mean, he's trying to make it happen. He even tried to put together events on our campus just to scrimmage, to get some camaraderie, to get some people on campus just to see our student athletes and give them a, a unique experience. Um, we're fortunate that we have him in our corner because he is constantly um, fighting for us. And then, you know, to work your way down a little bit, our athletic director is doing the same. I mean, I go to him with problems and he helps me come up with a solution. He, like I said earlier, he sets up our testing for us. I mean, we are just trying to find a way um, to make it work. And I'm thankful to have them on our side because they are really pushing for us. As a matter of fact, yesterday, um, as we were making some changes and telling our teams team about the games and how things were changed, I just reminded them, hey, we've got the best support. And when you run into our president on campus and when you see our athletic director, you need to be sure to thank them and tell them how much it means to us um, that they're helping us get these games that we have gotten. Um, when I was speaking to my AD about it last week, he said, I feel like these student athletes at some point down the road will look back and they'll be thankful that Harden Simmons helped fight for them to get these experiences. And I agree with him. I, I got an interesting question and it's just from my perspective and, and, and maybe you can tell me it's wrong or maybe you can tell me why it, it is this way. But it seems like when I look around at a lot of the schools that are pushing forward, Harden Simmons, ETBU, and some others from other parts of the country, there's a, there's a strong religious um, base to that university 
or institutionally in, in whatever capacity. And it feels like those institutions seem to have the biggest push forward to go, come on, let's go do this. We, we can do this. I'm curious if that's an accurate take from your perspective in, in knowing that you can see other schools that are different, but also if it's accurate, by the way, if it's not, please tell me, if it's accurate, why? What, what's, what's the underlying thing going on there that, that maybe we all can't appreciate? We joked early on about if nothing else works out, we can at least play the Baptist. We knew, <laughs> we knew yeah, that's kind of something I've heard. <laughs> we knew very hard Baylor was going to play and we could play Howard Payne. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the joke early on. But, I mean, absolutely, that has been very common from what we've seen. And, and I, I can't explain it. I don't know exactly. Um, I know that we are tuition-driven schools, all of sure. us. And so we are, you know, maybe even more concerned about the overall student experience. And a lot of our um, students here at Harvard Simmons are athletes. And so we're trying yeah. to give them the experience that they signed up for, that they're paying for. Um, we're not a Division One school where we're going to say, yeah, hang on, we'll play, pay for another year of your school right. pay here. And so some of that factors in as well. Um, but, you know, we've had great leadership in all of those schools that we've talked about do. And I think just in general, um, they have been overly concerned with the experience of the student athlete. And they also believe that we can make this happen in a way that still keeps them safe um, and healthy and within reason, you know, continue to play somewhat of a schedule that, you know, we were hoping to. This might be a little bit of an edgy question, but with that push, with institutions, as you mentioned, and others that I've seen around the country, pushing to have a season and wanting to, to make sure this student-athlete experience is a good one, God forbid, and it may happen, the tournaments get called. And there's a variety of reasons it could get called, one of them being not enough institutions, another the situations, come on, mm -hmm. we, could, we could spend an hour listing all the reasons. Right. Will... Will that be a blow to that student-athlete experience? Or are you hoping with the 24, maybe 25 games that you're scheduled plus a conference tournament should it happen, are you hoping that will be a solid base for that experience and the tournament is just would, – would have been the cherry? Right. I, I think I, I have to be honest and say it will be disappointing. Yes. Um, but at the same time, to still have a chance to play for something, yeah. to play for a conference championship. And I, I mean, I told my kids on Saturday in a pregame talk, I said, hey, this is your opportunity right now. And I asked them, you know, when's your next one going to be? And they all piped in and they said, we don't know. Um, so they're really buying into the one game at a time mentality and let's really have fun out there. And so I don't think, you know, at the end of the day, if the tournament gets pulled, um, that they're going to look back in the you know, years to come and say, you know, that was the worst thing ever. They're still going to look at the time they had with their teammates on the court, the amount of games they were able to play and the experiences they had. And, and I think it'll be okay. Um, you know, hopefully we'll have some players stick around and use that extra year, maybe <laughs> to, to have a tournament experience at some point. Uh, but I think that kind of like you said, that would just be the cherry in this year of, of such uncertainty. Uh, you've got, a, as of us recording this, you have a few games left before the holiday break. What's weird is I'm looking at a schedule one, and then you'll be back right after the new year. I mean, it's literally like a normal season. Um, and, and I mean that in a strange way right now. Right. But what, I'm curious, what will be the guidelines to your student? What will be the message to your players when you release them for the holiday break before you get them back before that next game? 
what will you be driving into their heads to make sure you can be playing come January? Right. So even from day one, we've said, don't hang out with extra people. You know, you're going to be around your teammates anyway. Don't go to parties. Don't, you know, be around a bunch of extra people that you don't have to, you know, so it'll be the same message going home. You know, don't go out to see your old high school friends in an environment where you're in close contact, do things outside as much as possible um, with extra people. If you have to, or family members even that are coming in for the holidays, try to stay within that social distancing guidelines um, but at the same time, we did have some cases on our team this year, and they came from within. We had mm. a, a young lady get it, and she gave it to two other players because yeah. they were together watching TV. And as innocent as that is, you know, that like we talked about before, there are just things you can't control. So we don't feel like necessarily it was, you know, them going home and spending time with family that, that got them, uh, that got COVID. So, um we're not going to worry too much about it. I actually have a great group of young ladies that um, they will sacrifice whatever they have to in order to play. And we're developing that culture here in year three to where um, they think that's more important than being out with a bunch of friends. And so I'm really thankful for that. We were in quarantine for two weeks and <laughs> sent them home workouts and they did them because when they came back, they were flying up and down the court. I was <laughs> so impressed with how they did that because I mean, even in a normal year, Chris, Christmas break feels like forever because it's seven days off and you come back sluggish. They were off for two weeks straight and they handled it like champs. That's so awesome. I, I couldn't be happier about their um, just ability to sacrifice and, and just to hold themselves accountable. Um, before I let you go, I do want to talk about the impact you've had on this program. This is your third season. This was a program that when uh, you walked in the door, the team had just come off of a 6-20 and 20 season, an 8-16 and 16 prior to that. The last time they were above 500, they were at 500, really, back in 2013. And, of course, 2011, they were 19-7. and seven. It's been a while. Right. You have had a 19-8, a 21-7 and seven seasons back-to-back, um, off to a 4-0 start here against three NAI, NAIs and a D3. Your impact has clearly been immediate and successful. What, what have, do you think has been working? What do you think you've brought to the table? That's changed the culture. I honestly felt like the team had really get great players when we got here and they needed a little fire. Um, mm. They needed a little like some hope. Um, we did change the system and we started playing faster and we pulled one of the post players out. We went four out, one in. Mm. And so that was significant to start. Uh, but one of the biggest things, and I give all the credit to our players, we won some games early that first season and the buy-in just started to grow from there. Um, they realized that, hey, what we're doing is working. Let's keep doing it. Let's work harder at it. And it just kind of turned into the snowball of the expectation shifted immediately to winning. And I thought that was going to be a really hard thing to fight coming in because, you know, when you're used to losing, sometimes that's the biggest battle to overcome, the biggest battle to win. And those girls really bought in and, and they fought really hard. Now we've been able to bring in some of our own players at this point. And so we've got a system where we're running and playing a lot faster. Mm. And we're seeing success and having a lot of fun because that style of play is really fun for the players. We're shooting a lot of threes and we're getting up and down the court. And so I think the, fun is what is kind of changing things for our kids because um, they have totally bought in. Like I said, the culture is, is becoming what we want it to be. Um, they're getting in the gym on their own. We're not having to force that. So just really give all the credit to our kids. That's pretty cool. Well, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the insight and the, and the knowledge and understanding of how you're pulling this off. 
I tip my hat that you've got 24 games scheduled. I, I realize anything's possible between now and the end, um, but I, I applaud the effort nonetheless, especially this, the, with the challenges. I, I appreciate um, that. I kind of hoped we'd have 28 scheduled because we knew three would get canceled at some point. Oh, I see. I see the thinking yeah. there. Yeah, not yeah, the worst not point. There. This might be the one year I look at a schedule like that and go, yeah, let it go. We'll, yeah, see, how, exactly. we'll see how it plays out. Um, as always, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? We're just thankful for all that, um, like I said earlier, our administration is doing for us, and we're thankful for every chance we get to step on the court. I think that this has certainly changed perspective, and hopefully we can keep that as things return back to normal. We thank you to D3 Hoops and all you guys do to support us. Um, I see you guys going to bat for Division Three athletics, and I love that. And um, These student-athletes sacrifice so much to do what they do, and then we've got nursing students, we've got education majors who are student teaching, and it truly is like a full-time job so um, just to piggyback on what I said before I'm so proud of my players and the way that they represent our program and so happy to be back coaching at Hardin-Simmons the place where I've played and thankful for this opportunity. Well thank you um, good luck enjoy the holidays stay safe stay well including your team and family and we'll look forward to seeing what uh, HSU is doing down the road and, and seeing and touch base with you later on maybe when things are a little bit more uh, normal. That would be great. Look forward to that. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Take care. She is Kendra Hassel. She's the head coach of the Hardin-Simmons women's basketball team. Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Once again, thanks to Kendra Hassel for joining us. Uh, fascinating to see what their game plan there is at Hardin-Simmons. I appreciated her ask, answering all of our questions, including just the dynamic of the institution and, and how they're assisting or driving a lot of the decisions that are being made. Every institution out there has got either different motives or different uh, ideas, and that's why we have a, a, a wealth of different uh, options and, and different plans and different thoughts into canceling or going on or playing later, etc. So appreciated her coming on and discussing that and talking a little bit about what they're trying to do. If that team continues to do what they're doing and play all those games, we'll most likely get her back on later to talk specifically about the team. Um, some may have been wondering why we why didn't discuss that. Again, I didn't want to distract from the topic at hand um, and make it any longer. But we, we will talk about her team at a later date. Take another quick little break here. When we come back, we'll wrap this up and talk about what we have on the next couple of podcasts due out later this week. You're listening to the Hoopsville Podcast back after this. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division Three student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, 
The game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. That's going to do it for our first podcast of this week in this month of December. I'm your host, Dave McHugh, here on Hoopsville. A uh, couple things to take care of business on this podcast. Take a, a look at the podcast to come and wrap things up. Reminder, you can follow us on Twitter, at D3Hoopsville, using the hashtag Hoopsville, especially for the show. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. And don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, at D3Hoopsville there as well. Especially on the Twitter side, we will be following all the news that breaks in Division Three. whether we are able to dig it up ourselves or whether it is released by conferences and schools uh, ahead of that. We will get it out to you as well, keeping track of the numbers ourselves. So don't forget to go to d3sports.com or d3hoops.com where we will have uh, a continuing list on a story of what is going on in Division Three In terms of cancellations, postponements, and whatnot, we're not listing everybody or giving you a list of what absolutely everybody is doing because that's impossible. There, I've literally done the math. There's 422 men's programs in Division Three, and there's 437 in women's basketball, and that's just too long a list. But we'll give you the cancellations and postponements and whatever information is pertinent. We assume everyone is playing unless they tell us otherwise. So go ahead and check those websites out. Follow us on Twitter. We'll keep you abreast of things as we learn them and develop them. Uh, in the beginning of the show, I mentioned about the championship uh, committee meeting and, and changing things and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we'll have more information on d3hoops.com with that, too. That might be better explained there as, as well. Uh, coming up in podcast number two, we're going to switch gears. We talk to teams this time who are on the court and playing and what they've gone through to do that. We will talk to programs that are will not be taking to the floor this season. We will talk to Misha Jackson, the head coach of the Emory Women's Basketball Program. We'll talk to Mike Blaine, head coach of Plattsburgh State Men's Basketball. Two programs not playing for different reasons, one school-based, one conference-based per se. We'll talk to them about the challenges uh, in, in talking to their team, what they're doing with their team in the interim, and everything that is involved, and, and even in some degree what they're doing besides just coaching. So that's coming up in podcast number two this week. And our third podcast regarding all of this coronavirus in Division Three, we will talk about the challenges of COVID from an, uh, an administrative point of view, especially what schools are doing to try and stay on the floor and on the court and what schools are doing to, <laughs> in the meantime, try, uh, how they got to the decisions they made to cancel is what I should say, and what they're doing for their student athletes, especially to try and keep them engaged and all. So there's a lot going on. We're trying to cover it all with these three um, reports this week. We hope uh, it's informative for all of you. Speaking of challenges, we want to remind you that there is a fundraising effort online for D3sports.com in the umbrella that is D3 Hoops, D3 Football, D3 Baseball. We know you've all been very friendly with Hoopsville in the past. Huge fundraiser um, at the end of last season, which we will talk about on the third podcast. But this is for the D3 Sports Network and the group that is D3 Sports. Uh, it's been about 20 years since we've ever asked for money to keep the websites online. And you can find more information at d3hoops.com. And in the third podcast, we'll discuss it more as well. So that's going to wrap it up for this first podcast. 
Hope you found it informative. I found the interviews and the conversations fascinating. Honestly, you learned a lot from uh, Coach George Barber and from Coach Kendra Hassel of Greenville and Hardin-Simmons, respectively. I want to thank them for coming on the show. I want to thank their sports information directors, BJ at Greenville and Chad at HSU, for helping us out as well. Uh, if you have any questions for us, you can always email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. You can also tweet us or find us on Facebook, as we mentioned earlier. All the information online, easy to find. We'll try and answer your questions whenever possible. Thanks for tuning in to this one. Next one coming up uh, in short order. Tell your friends about it. You can find our podcasts on pretty much every podcast avenue possible that I'm aware of. If we're not on your favorite podcast channel, let us know and we'll see what we can do about that. Thanks for tuning in and thanks to our partners at the WBCA and NABC for their support. Of course, at D3Hoops.com for their continued support. And of course, Blue Frame Technology for their assistance as well. We look forward to being back on video sometime in the near future, but appreciate their support nonetheless. Thanks for tuning in to Hoopsville. We'll be back shortly with podcast number two this week. Enjoy it. Copyrighted broadcast of Hoopsville is a property of DMAC Productions and David McHugh and is intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this show without the express written consent of Hoopsville and DMAC Productions is strictly prohibited.